0: It is an honor uh, to be here and to share. Thank you for those kind words, Jason. Very kind. We've been at APC for about three years. And uh, like Jason said, we're moving to Oaxaca, Mexico. If you're new, be rest assured, I'm out of here in two and a half months. No matter what I say today, I'm out of here. Well, we've been here for three years. Uh, my, my wife and my four kids, actually we came with three kids. Then we have four now. In fact, I think we have a picture Yes, here's my family, my wife Chelsea, she's here in the front row. If, if you're on the market for a spouse, look for someone who will help you grow into your calling with God more, right? That's, my wife has done this for me. There's so many times when I'm, I'm going to throw in the towel. She goes, oh, remember the calling? Oh. Right, but you need that. My son Caleb, um, already an evangelist. Already, I mean, just bold and proclaiming the word. Uh, Titus over here, he's, uh, this kid is strong. He actually got stitches on Saturday, and uh, or no, Friday. Had to take him in. And he's on the table, he's getting stitches, and he goes, Dad, I like getting stitches. <laughs> okay. <laughs> let's, let's do this. Thorin, um, Thorin, we call him little Thor. If you work in children's ministry, you know what I mean. My, my condolences to you. Uh, but he is just full of joy, generous heart. Um, and then Mila. And Mila is Mila's adorable. Mila's adorable. We finally got the girl. By the grace of God, who knows what would have happened if, if we did not get the girl? I mean, it's the thing could have just kept going. We named her Mila uh, because we spent about 18 months in Russia. Yachuchu Gavari Paruski. Uh, we spent 18 months in Russia. Uh, we have a special place in our heart for Russia. Mila is a common Russian name. It means dear one. Uh, she is our dear one. She's our little cherry on top. Uh, we were with Crew in Moscow. We absolutely love crew. It was, it was Moscow is a special, has is a special place for us. We have people that we love. But really, the work I think that was done in my heart in Russia was, was what kind of left its mark on my life. It was in Russia that the call to church plant was solidified. It was in Russia that I realized we need to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. And not just us, because things were going on. We need to be in a group. We need an army of Holy Spirit-empowered people around us. I remember I was sitting in my kitchen, drinking coffee. I'm just thinking, man, I need a bigger gun. <laughs> we need more power to break this <laughs> this tundra, right? And it was just, it was kind of began this journey. We came back to the United States. We began looking for a Holy Spirit-empowered church planting church. Talk about hitting the jackpot, right? We came to all people's church. And it's we've been here, like I said, about three years, getting rooted. And like I said, in a couple months, we're heading off to Oaxaca, Mexico. And I think, I don't know exactly what God's going to do, but I know he's going to do something incredible down there. And a lot of people are going to get saved. One of the things I appreciate most about all peoples is the faith that I see here. It's just like an ecosystem of faith. You bump into people all the time, and... Giants of the faith. And it encourages you, encourages me just to be around people that have more faith than me. See that power being unleashed, and I think, yeah, I could do this. Kindle just healed somebody. I just had Chipotle with Kindle. Kindle's real, right? It does something. When I was in Oaxaca with Robert, we first started scouting it out. We went into this unreached people group. Robert finds us like 2,000 people, 1,500, 2,000 people in this area. Robert sees this one guy. Just Lord, just highlights him. He comes over to him, preaches the gospel. He gets saved. Go, that's incredible. This is incredible already. Turns out the kid goes, like eighteen. He's like, my dad's gonna be so happy about this. I'm like, why is your dad gonna be so happy about this? Your dad worships pagan gods. He goes, I come from one of the few Christian families in this people group. And on this day, as Robert's walking by, God highlighted this guy, spoke to Robert. Jesus reached out by the grace of God and brought him back. Just one of the few people, one of the few Christians, like not today, devil, there's too few of these ones, bringing him back. That increases my faith to see that. It's not even me doing it. I'm just watching it But the faith meters going up. Right? It's a blessing to be an ecosystem like this. Now, there's, there is kind of two sides to this. You can kind of be you know, inspired, but you can also kind of have some discouragement sometimes. I mean, honestly, you look at someone... You look at the same kind of thing, and you think, I could never do that. Like, I, can't, I, I can't do that. Or God will never use me like that. Or I have too much sin. I'm too messed up to be used like that. Which is the biggest nonsense lie that the devil wants to put into your heart. The grace of God is overwhelming. You know what will challenge you like that. Is leading a life group with Matt Kirk. I led a life group with Matt Kirk for a year before he went off to church plant. Every week he comes in, looking all cool, and he's like, oh, this week, he's doing testimony time. How was your week? It was good. It was good. in the word. I'm you know, feeling good. Sunday was good. How are you, Matt? Well, five people led Christ this week. That's great, Matt. That's great. One, one week I thought, it was so consistent, I was like, I'm going to ambush him this week. He comes in before he even asks. How many people you lead to Christ this week, Matt? Four, Four. A bad week. Come huh, on? <laughs> <laughs> come on, man. Well, then he comes and he, he has the nerve to come over here for commission weekend and drop this little thing.' He's like, I was preaching the gospel in a village, you know, a dozen people came to Christ. And then all of a sudden, whole village comes to Christ. Whole village. Whole village comes to Christ, Matt. And he was looking right at me when he said it. I could see it in his eyes like, life group, life group. I'm obviously joking. I love Matt. People like Matt are why I love this church so much. Because Matt goes, I led a whole village to Christ. I go, maybe I could lead a whole village to Christ. I'm not reading this in a book about some guy somewhere else. This is a guy that I know. I know his struggles. The real human being, empowered by the spirit of God. And it empowers me. I think, maybe I can do this. Whatever side you're on, whether you're feeling inspired or, or discouraged, you know, I want to talk today about some practical steps about how you can increase your faith. Right? I, I want to kind of maybe sh- reframe how you think about growing in godliness. So one way you think about it is that you're, you're kind of moving along in your life, minding your own business, angel appears, boom, miraculous encounter, and now you're a man of God, and then things start happening. Then you read the Bible once in a while, and subsequent visions can occur. That's not a realistic perspective on godliness, but we kind of, we can adopt it. Sometimes you kind of hear these extreme stories, and sometimes that happens to people, but that's not the end of the story. But more often than not, you baby step your way into godliness, into into depths of godliness. It doesn't just, you don't just stumble into godliness. You baby step to greatness. You don't just stumble into greatness. Important nuance. And if you baby step, you think, well... I can't, you know, I can't control when miraculous visions come. I can't control when angels come. But I can control if I wake up in the morning and read my Bible. You right? you can, you can, if you have a plan, you can do something about it. And the Holy Spirit will meet you and work with you in that. This talk is going to work for things. The principles today are going to help you, like, in the short term. But I'm, I'm kind of thinking wider lens. I'm thinking, what can God do in your life in five or ten years? I listened to this thing from Jeff Bezos once, and he's talking about initiatives at Amazon. Fascinating. And he says, "If you, if I told you to solve world hunger, if you have one year to do it. What would you do?" I don't. Mean, I what are you gonna do? One year. But he says, "If I told you that you have hundred years to solve world hunger, what would you do?" Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that can be done. Sometimes in your life, we think, "I want to be, be I want to be. I want to arrive tomorrow." Maybe that's not going to happen tomorrow. But you can be equipped to move closer and down the line. And then five, ten years from now, you look back and say, I cannot believe what God has done. I cannot believe where he's brought me. God wants to use you and your faith to move mountains in, in so many areas. If you think about the list of things that, where, where miracles need to take place, where Holy Spirit-empowered, anointed people need to come and bring their focus There's a long list of things to do where God wants to use you. Lifting people out of poverty. Liberating modern-day slaves and human trafficking. Worthy causes. Here's an interesting one. Increasing global logistical efficiency. very spiritual. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But you might think, that doesn't sound very spiritual. My response is, everything is spiritual. The question is, in what spirit are you doing it? I think someday... In the, in, in the heavenly whatever, Jesus is going to say, stand up, Jose. And Jose is going to stand up. He's, Jesus is going to say, I anointed him in his work to increase global logistical efficiency. And because of that, more of the poor were fed. The gospel was spread. The human condition was lifted. Praise God to me. Well done, good and faithful servant. Jose, your work is holy. Another one, Racial reconciliation. Bounces need to be moved. And it's not just here. It's everyone in the world. Everyone has their own version, and it's awful. It's complex problems. You need the Holy Spirit of God to come in. I like that, that um, verse from Daniel. When it says Daniel could, like, solve riddles, da-da-da, and at the end it says he can solve complex problems. love that. You need the Holy Spirit of God to solve complex problems and lift the human condition. And ultimately, this culminates in the fulfillment of the Great Commission. We're all working towards this. God wants to use his church, you, us, to move mountains in all of these spheres, ultimately directed in the the Great Commission. This means in church, it means in business, it means in your workplace, it means in school, family. wherever God is calling you, he wants to use you for kingdom purposes. Now, just because you're not doing churchy things, it doesn't mean that you're off the hook. God wants you to be a Holy Spirit-empowered real estate agent. God wants you to be a Holy Spirit-empowered software engineer, a Holy Spirit-empowered mom. And to use your work, as I said before, to lift the human condition, and while you're working, to be able to impact people for Jesus, the relationships that you have. He plans to use you in ways you never thought were possible, like Paul says, far more abundantly than we can ever ask or think. Your life Counts in God's global plan for humanity. This might be the biggest lie that, that in our culture has kind of seeped in. You might feel, My life doesn't really matter. My life doesn't really count. It counts. It counts. You were made in the image of God. God loves you. He has a plan for you. Your life counts. It matters. You have a plan. Take steps to live into that and to grow into that. Again, I want to position yourself. I want you to position yourself so that in ten years you'd look back and you just say, I never thought this was possible. Speechless. God, you are good. Only you could do this. We're gonna look at first Samuel 17. This is the story of David and Goliath. The reason I picked this is, is actually before Robert asked me to speak, I was on a plane. I was reading, I'm reading through the life of David. I hit David and Goliath, and I actually kind of have this feeling like, ah, David and Goliath, of course. You know the story, kind of reading through it. But something grabbed me as I was reading it. I hit these statements that David made. And just the Holy Spirit met me. Because I saw something that David was doing that I wasn't doing. And it, it, it just it captured me. So I began processing it. Also, again, we're, gonna, we're not going to read the entire thing. We're going to zero in specifically on the dialogue that David has with Saul. He says in verse 32, this is 1 Samuel 17, verse 32. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. So, so David shows up on the scene. Goliath is there taunting Israel. The Philistines on one side, Israel on the other side. He's coming out every day and he's saying, come, someone come fight me. If you've seen um the movie with Brad Pitt, you know, they have the uh, Troy. Troy, right? It's kind of this situation, which is actually it's an interesting Historical thing about the ethnicity of the Philistines because that was, a, that was typically a not common to the nature near east to have those kind of games. So, but he comes out, side note. So he comes out, and he says, come fight me. We don't have to have a whole battle. You just fight me. Whoever wins is the winner. We'll just declare the winner. This guy's like 10 feet tall. The, the text paints him as a killing machine. Just no one can fight. Everyone's scared to death as he comes out. And he's taunting every day. He's taunting Israel. He's taunting God. David shows up to check on his brothers because his dad sent them. Verse 32. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. David's probably, we don't know exactly, maybe 15 years old at this point. Just, I read this and it just something jumped out to me. Let no man's heart, don't worry about it, I'll take care of him. He continues, and Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you're but a youth, a young man, a teenager, and he has been a man of war from his youth. David said to Saul, your servant, used to keep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Picture yourself in Saul's situation. You're hearing this. You're kind of, what's going on here? Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant. You might replace that word in the martyr context with unbelieving or blasphemous. Something like this. David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine, David. And Saul said to David, Go. The Lord be with you. I almost halfway wonder if he's like, Look. Go for it. Then he took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. And he says to Goliath in verse 45, David said to the Philistine, and listen, listen to this phrase. He's on, a, he's on the battle scene. Goliath is there about to kill him. And you imagine if you're Israel, you feel like one of the Israelites watching this scene, or even the Philistines. You probably watch this and to yourself, man, this guy is about to get killed. Guys, this is nonsense. What is happening here? You're probably already playing in your mind. When he kills him, I'm not about to be a slave. I'm just going to fight anyways. We're not going to honor this. You should, you probably, these guys are probably working in their minds. You know, this is not going to go well, and I'm not about to just surrender. So I'm still going to fight. Or this situation, this is probably happening in people's minds as, as they're watching this. But just certain, this guy's a dead man. And then he says this, and you're watching this, and then he speaks up and he says, David says to Goliath, you have come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel whom you've defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. And all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Again, put yourself in a situation, you hear that come out of his mouth. What is going on here? Still dead. But what's going on here? What is happening? There are three things as I read this that really stood out to me. The first one is that David had cultivated faith before the battle. He was showing up to the game with the whole stockpile of faith already, this whole lion and bear bit. Because I've, I've grabbed a lion and bear with my bare hands and struck them down. This, this guy's going to be just like this. Showing up to the game with faith already accumulated. Verse 2, that's point 2. He drew on this faith to declare victory in faith before he engaged. That statement, that whole thing I just read that David said, he just says, here's how this is going to go. I'm going to come over there. I'm going to kill you. And we're going to win. Before he engages. And this is is the thing that captured me the most because I realized I don't really do this. I don't talk like this. It's more kind of like, I believe you can, Lord. And I'm stepping out, and I hope you will. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're like I don't I know. I believe you can generally, but I mean, I don't know. But I'm going for it. David's kind of approaching it differently. And then finally, the third point. He moved forward, and he took action in faith into victory. This culminated into, into faith-filled action. I think these three things actually represent a rhythm of life, not just a one-off deal, where God is kind of constantly taking you higher. And as you're moving along, you're going to hit checkpoints. Goliath for David was a checkpoint. He had many more things after this, and he just kept moving through them. Same pattern. Now, there, no, there's, there's a couple different kinds of Goliaths I think are important to realize. Circumstances, and calling. Things you can't control that just come to you. COVID-19. Comes to you. You don't choose to go after it; It just comes to you. You have to deal with it. Callings are things where God says, "That thing over there, go get it." Human trafficking. It's time to end it. And you're anointed to go solve it in this area. Right? These principles apply to both of those things. Whether it's coming at you, or God's telling you to go. These principles apply to both. So the first one. This is the key. This is this is the foundation of it all. Is to cultivate the faith before the battle. If you, if you look at pro athletes, pro athletes train all of the time, but they only perform occasionally. Uh, you don't have pro athletes getting off the couch after 42 hours of Netflix, wiping off the Cheetos, and then running down to the field right before the game to perform. It just doesn't work that way. They're constantly training. you ever seen Tom Brady, Google Tom Brady's regimen. That guy's performing at 43 at a high level, but his regimen is, is insane. His regimen supports his performance. As Christians, our regimen has to perform has to support our performance. There's not really any way around it. You know, it's if you don't eat right, you won't perform. If you don't eat right spiritually, you won't perform. And it's not something where you become a pro athlete after one day of doing the regimen. Like, I want to be a pro athlete. By Friday, I could, I could. you have these like you have these like freak stories every once in a while you know where like you have some guy just comes out of nowhere but it's it's so it's so rare they make movies about it it's just not the way it's not how it works. it is a long road, but a little at a time, a little at a time as you work in the fundamentals, you got to work the fundamentals as I said before the, uh, um Greatness is you baby step to greatness. You don't just stumble into greatness, or you don't leap into greatness. Really, you baby step into greatness a little at a time. Another notice: if you look at David, David, as he shows up with this giant killing faith, all of that faith was cultivated in the mundane rhythms of life. He wasn't like killing other giants, and he's like, one of my other giants that I've killed, you all know me. In fact, when he shows up, his brothers go, what are you doing here? Shouldn't you be back watching those few sheep in the wilderness? Doing that menial nothing job? But day by day, out there, building something. God's laying something in him as he's working the fundamentals. He was a man of prayer, obviously. He wrote half the Psalms. Patterns in his life. Some of these these things might seem basic, but you think about Vince Lombardi. This is a football Right? He, he understood it's the fundamentals. You have to constantly come back. to the fund. You never graduate from the fundamentals. The first one, here's your regimen. The first one and the foundational one is, the, is getting into the Word of God daily and having that face time with God. You've got to get into the Word of God. For me, this was the game changer in my whole life. When I started to read the Word of God, and God cultivated in my heart through a few different times where I hit a passage and I go, I can't do this. I can't do it. And God said, trust it. The Holy Spirit met me. He said, deep breath. I can trust it. Adjustment that was made. And after hundreds of days of little adjustments, I looked back and said, whoa, things that I struggled with before, I don't struggle with now. Ways that I thought before, I don't think now. A little bit at a time. The Word of God is critical. This is your, daily, this is your diet. Jesus likened the Word of God to bread. Daily bread. right? If you, don't, if you don't get into the Word of God, you will not be able to perform as a Christian. It's, I mean, it might be impossible to grow over time without the Word of God. So that's a strong statement. But there's some point you're going to hit a wall if you're not getting in the Word of God. Number two is pray and fast. James five sixteen to 18, this is fascinating. James says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Because Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. James is, is, is doing something interesting. He says remember that prophet, one of the most famous prophets from the Old Testament? Who did that who prayed and the you know the fam, the, the the drought came and all of this? Yeah, I know that. He says he was just like us. Just like us. And what James is doing there is he, he's he's looking at the differentiator. He prayed and he lived righteously. He was a man. Right? It, it kind of like it kind of brings it down. And it's it's, it's easy to say like oh that guy can do it. Certainly, Jeff Bianchi can do it, not me. And James is saying, uh, that's, that's a false mentality. That's a false mentality, right? Prayer is foundational. I think about prayer and fasting goes with it. Fasting is like prayer on overdrive. In fact, I was talking to Chelsea on this fast food recently, and I said, Chelsea, why, why, why did God choose fasting? Fasting is awful. I said, why doesn't God say, I want you to eat the most delicious foods and when you experience these delicious feuds, you will know my beauty and goodness and erupt in praise. Come on. Come on. There is some truth in that. But it doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work. Some aspects of the truth. But fasting, seeking God, it's humbling yourself, saying, God, I need you to move. When we started getting called to Oaxaca two and a half, three years ago, we... We realize that we have a lot of debt and too much debt to pay off before we before we can go. Before we kind of would reasonably go. We're looking at it and we, we had like five years um worth of debt we need to pay off when we calculated I'm like, if we squeeze, we could do this in five years. Oh Ironically, most of it was in our in our student loans, which were we had Bible degrees, and so the Bible says not to get debt. So I you know, <laughs> I don't know. But <laughs> we we, maybe I wasn't a good student, <laughs> I don't know. but we had to pay it off. And so we, at this time, we're, we're, we're thinking, okay, we need to pay this off, but also we're kind of early in the game. We're like, should we move to Mexico? Really, we're God's leading, We're kind of doing this thing. So we decided to fast. Fasted for almost a week, Chris Hamilton you with me. And we fasted for almost a week, and afterwards, we just had this. So I was talking to Chelsea, and God just said, Frankie, build an app. I'm a software engineer. You're good at building an app, just build an app. I was like, I should build an app. It makes sense. So I said, okay, Lord, but I want the right situation. I want the right client. I want the right this. I haven't done client work in a while at this point. Just do my, my normal job. And, you know, you're working nights and weekends. It's like, ugh have kids. But God's saying, do this, Lord. But I want the right situation. I want the right people. I want the right, right thing. Reach out to a friend a couple weeks later. I'd done nothing at this point except for pray. Reach out to a friend and say, hey, you got any work? I used to work with this guy. He goes, no, I'm not doing this anymore. Um, sorry. No, no problem. About a week after that, I get an email from someone. They say, hey, we reached out to that common friend We need an app developed. And he referred you. We need an app now. I go, help you with that. Got the talking, built the app. And the situation was incredible. Personal relationship to this day, great friends, wonderful people that God connected me with. And he took the five-year plan and condensed it into the eight-month plan. He knocked it out. God says, there's no debt that's going to keep you out of Oaxaca. All right? pray and fast. Pray and fast. It is so, there's so much breakthrough in this. And finally, be missional. This kind of helps steer you on a daily basis. And this is more of a mindset than an action. It Guides your prayers. But it does guide your actions as well. You constantly hear people say, God does incredible things when I'm on mission. When I'm on a mission trip, God does incredible things. And I... I think in some sense, this is probably not because you're in a different place, but because you're in a different mindset. So have that mindset here, daily praying into it, daily praying that his kingdom would come, daily praying for the fulfillment of the Great Commission and for your role in that. God prioritizes resourcing people that are in line with his mission, who are in line with his plan. He's going to give you what you need in every way. Following this regimen as a daily life, these three things, this will lay this foundation of faith. And by the way, here's a plug for SOT. Come on. If you're thinking about getting yourself started, you're thinking, man, I need a coach. Go to SOT. This will get you off the ground. This will get you into the rhythms and a lot of other practices that you can kind of incorporate into your regimen to help you with your unique makeup built on these fundamentals you got to work the fundamentals. You will not get very far without the fundamentals. David's working the fundamentals, building that faith every day, putting a little more in, a little more in. David shows up, and he draws on this faith in front of Goliath to declare victory. It's the second point. Draw on this faith to declare victory. Here's a general principle. If I'm doing things in, that people in the Bible aren't doing, then I ask why. If people in the Bible are doing things that I'm not doing, then I ask, why am I not doing those things? Again, I said it before. I saw David doing things that I was not doing, making these statements. That's what captivated me originally. Like I said before, it's as if David was saying, God, I believe you can do it generally, but I, I believe you can do it, that you will do it specifically right now. And again, that, that challenged me as I, was, as I was meditating on that passage. But I, As I was thinking through this, and I'm thinking, what is going on in David's heart? I realized there's this thing that occurred. And I, re- I kind of looked inward, and I realized, this is kind of happening to me, actually. It's already happening. It's like a phenomenon that's occurring. I just didn't recognize it. But I feel like when faith, your general faith you're cultivating daily, and calling, a specific calling, when those things collide in your heart, you're gonna, what's going to emerge are these faith-filled declarations. Faith-filled declarations are going to begin to emerge. We saw that. I saw that with Oaxaca. I'd be praying. I'm like, Lord... You've brought me to Russia and back, and we're faithful. Lord, you've paid off my debt. You're going to make a way to go to Oaxaca. I'm just like praying this way naturally. And after meditating on this passage, I realize this is something that happens in us. In some sense, declarations are identified, maybe more than they're like created. And they're, it's connected with, with how God's calling you. You don't just say, I, I believe for a Lamborghini to appear tomorrow in my driveway. Unless God's calling you to have a Lamborghini. In which case, I don't know. Bring that to uh, <laughs> trusted friends to pray with you. But When, when, when I looked at this, and I, I thought about these declarations, I thought, I want to grab these, make them more intentional, solidify these. There's a few elements, a few ingredients that I thought through this. One is calling, specific calling. There are many things that God can call you to do. Like I talked about, human trafficking, caring for the poor, delivering clean water, building a business, planting a church. Whatever it is that God is calling you specifically, grab a hold of that thing. Two, the Word of God. Just literally bring the Word of God and the truth of the Word of God into your declaration. You see this in Acts 4.24 after the apostles are released. They say, it says they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything that is in them. That is the beginning of their prayer. Bring those truths into your declaration. Three, past experiences with God. David says in verse 34, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. When there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. When he arose against me. I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears and his uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them for he has defied the armies of the living God. David's like, I've done this before. I've done this before. I've seen God move. He's going to do it again. Bring those into the declaration as you're writing this thing out. And four, bring alignment with God's global mission. David says that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Bring those in. Here's an example from my life. Lord, you are sovereign over all. You have protected my family wherever we have traveled to share the gospel. We're going to Oaxaca, trusting in you for protection. We will plant a church, plant a church in Oaxaca, and thousands of Oaxacans will come to know you. Declaration. And I believe that statement because it's faith and calling in my heart. And there's the word of God in there. He is sovereign. I believe it. These are useful in prayer. I, for me, it's useful in prayer, it's useful in encouraging people. When you, The faith that you are building daily connects to the specific calling in your heart. These declarations will emerge. Grab them, solidify them. And as you lean into them, I believe they will explode into anointed action that builds the kingdom. This is the third point. Move forward in victory in faith. This means taking concrete steps forward and it involves some element of risk. Hence hence the faith. All right, David, verse 48, 49, says, when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line. He runs and he engages in faith. He makes his statement, I'm going to come over there and I'm going to kill you. And then he runs. He leans into that declaration that God was speaking to him in his heart. Chelsea and I had a, it's kind of a smaller example of this (laughs) recently. But we were trying to decide about when to move to Oaxaca. We were kind of looking at July 1st, seemed to be a good date. And then COVID hit. The world turns upside down. Everything's unstable. We're going, what What do we do? When do we go? Uh, maybe, maybe we would just wait a few more months. We're thinking maybe September, you know, because things can kind of simmer down. or At least we can know kind of what the playing field looks like. You know, we a family of six. That's a risky thing. And I had this dream afterwards during this time. And in this dream, the world seemed like it was fast-forwarding around me. God speaks to me in the dream and says, things with Oaxaca will will move faster than you expect. That triggered some prayer and fasting. And in that time, we felt God say, I don't want you to push it back. I want you to move it forward. We moved it to May 1st. Does that create some feelings? Some feelings happen. Does it increase the risk? Yes. Does leaving a stable job in San Diego with my church and family and friends Southern Mexico in the middle of a global pandemic creates some feelings? It does. It absolutely does. But I have faced the lion and the bear, and God has shown himself to be faithful. We will go to Oaxaca. We will plant the church, and thousands of people will come to know Jesus and their sins will be wiped away. And when the world looks at Oaxaca, they will know that there's a God in heaven. Jesus is his name, and he is the Savior of the world. That's my declaration. Where is God joining faith and calling in your heart? Grab a hold of that. What is your Goliath? and what part of the world or sphere of influence are you called to bring the kingdom? Because you have a part. You have a part. I hope you feel that you have some tools that you can engage, that you can make progress, to move into this.